1.7 billion people in the world that don't have access to bank accounts. And I, you know, I think women make up a big portion of that. And so thinking about that, um, thinking about that, just like mission is something that I think really drives my entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I think that's something that maybe like founders really need to hone in on in the early stages, which is like, why am I, why am I really building this? And is it something that's going to kind of like keep me going when things are really challenging? And is it something that really is like aligned to what I care about? Welcome to the Sisterhood Club podcast, where we talk all things business, Web3 and NFTs. We're on a mission to educate, elevate and empower women into the world of Web3. So join us on this journey as we learn together from leading experts. And remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So please do your own research and enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sisterhood Club podcast with myself, Georgie Hubbard. And me, Pam Caldwell. Great to have you back today, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah, missed you yeah. last week. Um, today, we are honoured and very excited. We followed this incredible woman for a while now. Love what she's doing. And I can't wait to dive into her journey, her business, and uh, what it's been like to be a female founder in this Web3 world. So, Beck Jones from uh, Clutch Wallet. Amazing to have you here today. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I love the yeah. how you're going, mate. It's something I don't hear that often in, in <laughs> LA. So I hear it and I'm like, oh, and it sounds good with English accent. Good day. Um, Beck, I, I love to start with a little bit about yourself, your introduction. So over to you. What's your journey been? What got you into the Web3 world? And uh, where did the idea for Clutch Wallet come from? Yeah, it's um it's an interesting journey. It's actually started in Australia. I was working in um National Australia Bank, uh, in the, the kind of business banking sector. And I think something that's maybe relevant to to prior to that um kind of work that I was doing was while I was at university, I was really interested in women's financial literacy and opportunity in the kind of financial services industry. And so I finished my business banking degree and I wanted to challenge myself with something and I was thinking about writing a thesis, but I knew that my writing skills would were poor and so thought that it would be a great opportunity to dive into a topic in that area um, to try and kind of do some research and also build out my writing skills. And so I did a year of an honors thesis, which focused on why there were so few women in senior executive positions in the Australian um, banking industry. And I got to interview a couple of incredible women and kind of deep dive into their experience and pull out some of the barriers that they faced and some of the strategies that they had like kind of suggested for overcoming that experience. And so I think that was like quite a, a foundational layer to me then moving into the banking industry after I finished at university, um, wanting to kind of like affect or kind of promote some of that change that I had learned about throughout doing my thesis in, in the industry. And then, um, got red pilled into crypto basically basically <laughs> met my met my co-founder James and he introduced me into the world of cryptocurrencies and kind of tokenization and um he was working at the bank at the time in the FX space um and I remember sitting down and chatting with him one day and then I made my first couple of investments. I'd, I'd never invested any money before before that. I kind of started saving my money and I wanted to um buy a house. I mean, I think that's just like this Australian dream yep. that we're so often sold and it's a big yep. part of our identity and our narrative in Australia. 
Um, I'm sure you guys might have come across it since being there. Uh, (laughs) And I went and put the money that I put in my savings into crypto and my father was ropeable and he'd come from kind of banking (laughs) and finance. So he was just baffled, couldn't understand what this was about. I just remember seeing the kitchen and trying to explain Bitcoin as a person that had just like consumed it for a period of a week but couldn't articulate what it was at all, was absolutely just like not doing it justice. And dad's listening to me trying to explain this back to him, like, what have you done with the the savings that you have? Like, what have I taught you over the last 20 something years? Um, but I, I, I kind of held on to that investment and I just continued looking into the space and got quite immersed in all the different opportunities that were being out, being built out of it and, and really felt like this was an opportunity to get into a newly emerging industry. And um, I was kind of younger then in my in my mid-20s and so I felt like it was a really great time to kind of expand my my career and um, dove headfirst into, into crypto. So I actually worked across two different companies um, in the Web3 space. I worked out of LA with a social media app called Vid and then I worked for another anonymous company. Um, both companies, I was a chief marketing officer um, for both of them. And that was kind of my exposure to the the Web3 world before actually landing on Clutch as an idea. Right. There is so much to unpack there. So (laughs) I just want (laughs) to... And pause. So what I really would love to dive into, because you touched upon something that Pam and I are very passionate about, which is the whole female financial freedom. And Mm -hmm. you said something that you didn't see that many women in sort of those leadership roles as well. And you did a whole thesis on it. So I'd love to know from interviewing these women, what are some of the barriers? Why aren't there more women, you know, coming into sort of these C-level roles? And why do you Mm -hmm. think it's so important for women to have that sort of financial understanding? Yeah. So I think something that's important just to preface before I share what I found was that the women that I was interviewing at the time were in their kind of later 40s and and 50s. And so the experiences Mm -hmm. that they were talking to were were probably based out of the 80s and the 90s, um, maybe the 90s and 2000s as well. So there's definitely a unique kind of experience that I, I think has started to evolve from there, but we still definitely see some of the the kind of barriers that came up. Um, so there was a couple, I think like the, the, the big ones that came out were around, um, and this is pretty stock standard, just kind of self-confidence around positioning ourselves in spaces that we feel have been, um, traditionally masculine and that we don't have a seat at the table. Um, there was another barrier that was called out, which was just like some of the bias that women face in coming into more financially kind of dominant areas as well. Um, there was issues around, this is a really interesting one. There was this this theme that came out called Queen Bee Syndrome, which was um, women that were sometimes put in higher positions and would defend their position instead of welcoming women up. And I think one of the challenges that we see is that, um, you know, traditionally men can see themselves in people that are coming through and people that they're welcoming into um, their organizations or as part of their teams. And so when they can see themselves in a person, there's that relatability and um, that already is an issue for women coming into more masculine kind of spaces. And so if you have on top of that, the women that are holding space there, sometimes kind of defending that space and wanting to maintain being like the only woman that that can sometimes be um 
like an even bigger inhibitor for us. So that was a really interesting one. Um, and then I think there was some of the obvious ones around kind of management of like household and the fact that a lot of women that were wanting to participate in higher levels of kind of like senior roles would then have to juggle the conversations with their partners or the management of their children. And the fact that if they had a partner that was taking a position and in a similar senior kind of level, then, um, that person wasn't necessarily stepping away to kind of support their partner. And so that was just a really big challenge for them to have to manage that level of seniority with the kind of child mining component and household chores. So I, I think some, you know, some themes that we probably still see a bit today. Mm. Mm. And Cam can relate to that. Yeah, that, mm. that is so relatable. And I, I actually read an article in a magazine just a couple of weeks ago, and it was just talking to the role of women in leadership positions. And what they found through a study was that a lot of women actually don't necessarily want to be leaders because mm-hmm. they are the leaders in so many other aspects mm-hmm. of their lives that when it yeah. comes to their professional lives, they almost want to go there and it is to decompress and yes. not have to take charge. So there's mm-hmm. so many complex issues that just under underpin that entire dialogue and that whole conversation. And it is really important, but a lot of women were putting up their hand and saying, it's not that I can't have a seat at the table. It's that I yeah. actually don't want one and that is a huge it's a huge struggle uh, as well like because we want more women to 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 have the seats at the table but it's like right okay how can we make sure that women have got the right support and childcare being so expensive you know like what what are the government doing what are the initiatives around this to enable women to have more support in the the home life and with the child minding responsibilities the parenting responsibilities to enable them to really pursue and thrive in their careers as well so it's just such a it's it's such an interesting dialogue for me as well because obviously I personally like run co-found two businesses alongside Georgina and I, I do have two young children yeah. and you know some weeks if I'm not planned and I'm not organized I can very heavily feel the weight of my professional responsibilities and mm-hmm. my personal responsibilities mm-hmm. um and do you know what what a beautiful first world problem to have mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is you know it's I can I can very much relate um to to those sort of topics but just to sort of step back to the whole like you, tech and finance and the perception of those being incredibly male dominated industries mm-hmm. what 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 do you see as being how can we how can we break down these barriers to make these careers seem more appealing to to women how can how do you feel that we can make that make that make that change to make it seem more open and welcome a welcoming space for women to actually want to pursue careers in those traditionally male-dominated environments? Yeah, I see there being so many different strategies across the board for this. And I'll, I'll use kind mm. of Web3 and crypto as an example. Um, and this is just like one minor one, and I'll talk to a couple. But my frustration when I started thinking about Clutch midway through last year was looking at the market cap of the crypto space being over a trillion dollars and realizing that there were so few women that had invested that were building that were kind of participants in the space and the nft boom had started really taking off and world of women wasn't launched yet and so i remember looking at all of the nfts and thinking wow we've evolved web3 we've evolved from like crypto 
into like Web3 and now we're seeing all these new applications that are being built outside of this idea of just like investing in, in coins and tokens. And we're starting to see real world application built on top of Ethereum and the introduction of NFTs is a really interesting kind of first example of that, even if it was with kind of like the traditional PFPs. Um, and they're all like monkey heads and goblins and, 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 and punks. And like, I just remember thinking this is the first time we're getting like a story arc and like a feeling of brand. And there is still no representation of women. Like what, how are we here today in 2021? How is this happening? And that was like my just like frustration of, okay, there needs to be like, we need to start doing more things. There definitely needs to be collections that are focused on women. And it was so amazing to see so many collections starting to then build out of that time period. Like, I feel like we had like a combustion of different collections that then came that were women focused. And that actually encouraged a lot of women to purchase their first NFT, join a discord server, start talking about other investment opportunities, start thinking about a career in web three. And I think just that first investment is such an incredible kind of beginning opportunity and exposure and experience for women to get started and to learn about the application of it, you know, the process of actually buying, setting up the wallet, having it land in, in your account, possibly looking at like a secondary market that you could sell it on, watching the floor price kind of move. And it's like, oh, I'm participating now. I'm actually understanding it because I'm going through the motions. So I think that practical experience is like a really important one, but that required representation and a space that was like, hey, you can come here and be represented. Like you can buy an NFT and it represents you as a person and you have a seat at this table. Um, so that's one. And then, I mean, like the building of products is the kind of space that I've tried to focus on because for me, something that I recognized was a lot of these products have been built for a certain kind of person. I mean, they're being built by a certain type of person that thinks a certain way. And so they build for, for, for themselves and they don't think about, oh, there is possibly a person coming into this space that has no idea what the word web three means, let alone a wallet, let alone like the applications of, of kind of investing versus even just like participating in holding a token and getting access to a community. And so, um, starting to think about what building products would look like to actually support groups of people that hadn't had exposure to this space before and hadn't had exposure to investing in kind of markets, um, was, was a space that I kind of wanted to work in. And, and that I think is also one of the areas that we need to start thinking about to actually change and welcome different groups of people in. Amazing. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think like what I just want to actually just credit you here as well, Beth, because the education you put out on your platform and your social is incredible. And I think that's kind of where it starts, right? It's just the whole education piece. It's, it's breaking it down, is creating these safe spaces, these safe communities where women can put their hands up and say, I don't get that. Can someone explain and mm -hmm. not feel shot down or stupid for putting their hands up to ask these questions? Because I know that when Pam and I first started in this space, I was petrified to put my hand up in a, in a Twitter space or ask any question. Mm -hmm. I was like, this feels very intimidating and it was definitely not female friendly. And hence mm -hmm. why Pam and I sat down and decided to do sisterhood club, because again, we were like, okay. where, where are all the women? And there were some amazing female products coming out at that point, but there wasn't yeah. actually that many pro products in Australia. And uh, yes. I do think there was this call for in real life events as well, which is we just ran our sisterhood social, which was amazing. We had six women show up that had no idea what Web3 was or what a wallet was. And I was like, this is what we want to be doing. I, I love like meeting women, encouraging women, not just into Web3, but technology in general, like get excited, mm -hmm. get curious. Like this is going to be the future. And mm -hmm. I want as many female voices in this because if we come in now, we can also work on things that 
have real meaning and we get to impact things that are going to come. So I, it, it's so important to have a seat at the table, have a voice and be, and, and find your people, find your community. But I love to go into now the idea about Clutch, how that came about and your journey as a, a female founder in this space. You're doing incredibly well, but talk to us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, sure. So uh, the idea did kind of come out of that time period that I just shared. And I think it's an evolution of what I've always kind of been passionate about, maybe a touch of like my experience in, in banking. Um, and I, I think there's probably like some personal experiences there as well around like, you know, women in my family and watching the role that money has played in their life. And, um, you know, possibly at times they're, they're lacking of financial acumen or wealth generation for themselves and how that might've inhibited some of the decisions that they've kind of had to make. Um, so I, I think they're parts of kind of the reasoning behind it, but as I started working in the space and, and really kind of um, in that role of, of like marketing, um, where I was having to talk to customers and onboard them into web three, if, you know, the two companies that I worked for, they had a token sale, for example. And so everyone that was buying a token out of the telegram group at the time had to have a wallet. And so that wallet onboarding was part of like my role as the marketer in the company to make sure they understood that. And we were having to create content for those products because the product experiences weren't, very intuitive and they weren't supported with content as you were coming in and they didn't have an onboarding experience. And so it was, I think, doing that over and over again and also sitting down with a number of different like friends and family members and kind of um, taking them through the wallet setup where I thought, okay, this is such a pivotal product. Like the wallet as a product is is a space where you access your cryptocurrencies and your tokens. So it's like the home to your value, but it's also your identity layer. It's it's the way that you connect into different decentralized applications, different marketplaces. And so it takes on this very new form of a product that we've never really had before. You know, we've had banking products that enable payments. We've had investing applications, which allow for you to kind of invest in traditional stock markets. But this combination of kind of being home to your value and not just like, your value, which is like your kind of payment side of like the tokens and coins that you might be investing in, but also like your digital assets. And if you've, if you're purchasing metaverse land, then like the ownership of that asset is living in there too. And if you're purchasing some fashion NFTs then that's living there as well. And they're all different types of, of kind of assets and, and, and spaces that hold value for you. And so thinking about a product that was supporting those particular items, um, I think really needed like a unique, um, kind of interface. And it was something that I was really excited to evolve from what we've been used to today and, and hopefully be built with, um, you know, women in mind when we're doing that. And the way that we've kind of messaged it is to be inclusively built. So really recognizing that the kind of content, the, the kind of um, the colors, the branding, the marketing, the user experience and feel um, can be made with women in mind. And I remember having to pitch this originally and, you know, investors were like, I don't really get like what's going to make this different. Sorry, all my housemates have just come home, so they're going to be a bit loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the background noise. Your, home, your housemates are coming home. My baby's just shown up. <laughs> You've got <laughs> kicking off. We've got a bit of background noise into this podcast today. <laughs> the different the different lives um, <laughs> and I live with like five other people so it's like really oh, wow. <laughs> um, so sorry what I was saying was just that yeah part of like my fundraising process and just starting to 
you know, garner attention and interest in the idea was a lot of pushback around like, what does building inclusively mean? And mm-hmm. it was so interesting when I came across Geneva, the, um, the kind of com- competitive application to discord and you open Geneva and it's this like beautiful kind of feels like Apple. It's white. It's really thoughtful. It's, it's like such a wonderful application and they literally just built it because discord was like made for gaming dudes. Mm. And, mm. you know, a lot of women oh. were entering there and being like, what is this world? Like, I don't want to use products that look and feel like this. This is confusing and it feels really bro and it feels like, like really difficult to get across. And so Geneva kind of built with that in mind. And it was really cool when I came across them. Cause I was like, okay, there's a similar thesis that's like being built here around like software and technology and the kind of individual that you want to use it. Mm. yeah you go Pam. sorry I I'm just like so interested in that like you know when you're actually you're going out and you are aiming as a as a as a founder to secure funding um since we actually launched the podcast we have had a few female VCs that have been on and yes. every single one of those conversations I have I'm almost flying off my chair in fury when I hear the stats and how the the distribution of wealth and funding is just so it's it's just it, it's broken the system is completely broken sure. could could I sort of ask about like what what was your approach to um securing funding going out what was your experience in when you were pitching, do you feel as though you experienced any sort of discrimination yourself? You know, what, what was your experience? Could you talk to that? Yeah, of course I can. Uh, and I'll preface it by saying it was a new experience for me. I'd, I'd never raised funding before. So that came with a lot of, um, you know, my, my own kind of self-confidence issues and feeling like I didn't really like understand the process and know how to kind of come in confidently. Um, very fortunately I had my co-founder James working with me and kind of joining in on calls and being able to navigate, you know, part of that experience alongside of me. So I definitely think that helped, but for the most part, I would be taking the first call, which is that kind of introductory call where you either, you know, build rapport and they buy into the idea and they, they book a second one, um, or you don't. And so I think to raise our pre-seed, it took from December until April. Uh, I would have spoken to over, gosh, I think it was, it was either 80 or a hundred funds. Um, and they're like, you know, each call is half an hour to 40 minutes. Sometimes there's preparation you do beforehand to understand who it is that you're speaking to, what their thesis on the space is. So you're trying to figure out, you know, what are they writing about? What are they tweeting about? What do they care about? What can I kind of like really align with them on to, to, to kind of help, um, articulate, you know, what we're building and their level of interest in it. Um, and you don't want to waste time on the call either. You know, if there's stuff that you can get across around the fund or that investor, then it's better to come in with that information so you can ask questions instead of having them, you know, having to go over information that's kind of publicly available. So there was quite a process around it. So when you, you know, think about that over 80 to a hundred calls, it was, it was really long. And I think to your, to your question around like, did I feel like there was any bias or did I have any like challenging conversations? There was, there was definitely like two or three angels that were men that I spoke to that asked me pretty specific questions around what I wanted to have children and what my relationship status was. Um, and they were questions I never got from women. They were never questions I got from funds. And I don't think you would have, I, I would like to think you would never have a fund that would ask you that, but an angel investor, you know, seems to be more of like, an individual that can kind of operate under their own mandate. And so that was like a pretty challenging um, experience. And, and to be honest, it was something that I, 
I hadn't really given like a lot of thought to. So it really took me back when I was thinking about like how to answer it. Um, and you know, trying to navigate the decision around being a 32 year old woman building a company at this kind of age when, you know, I also have desires to be a mom and I don't know how to like manage the two things and just acknowledging the timing of, of all of that is, um, is another added layer of, of pressure, I think, on, on kind of female founders. Um, yeah, I'm sure you feel it. Um, yeah. So I think that was, yeah, that was definitely a challenging part. And uh, uh, look, when I got to like 50 or, you know, 60 um, conversations and I realized that I wasn't getting anywhere with, with male-focused funds or, or, you know, speaking directly to men, I started focusing solely on women-focused funds. Um, and that was where I got a lot of my investment at the end of the day. Like if I look at my cap table, it's probably skewed 70% women. And that's been really, uh, I mean, that's also been intentional in that I recognize this, you know, you spoke to it before, I recognize this cycle of like the people that are investing, like if the people that are investing at that VC level aren't women, then we're kind of like perpetuating the problem of like, they're not investing in the kinds of people that, you know, might look similar to them and be building products for them. Um, and so we have this kind of like, I guess, like market that's built specifically for one, one kind of demographic. Oh, hundred percent. I just, I just can't even believe people are asking these types of questions still. It just Mm -hmm. gets me so fired up. Like it, 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 what, in what world do you think that it's okay to ask a woman that and, and mm-hmm. what, what, why does it matter like hello my business partner Pam has just sat next to me mm-hmm. she just finished breastfeeding she's passed yep. her baby back to you know <laughs> my husband she's, she's making it work right she's doing we're, it. We're, we're talking real that. here I on the sisterhood club right I love that that just seriously she's burping and belching breastfeeding <laughs> all whilst doing a podcast right it can be done men seriously I think Pam, you should just walk around with the camera attached to you all day and prove what actually can happen, right? Doesn't matter if you want to get pregnant and have a couple of kids. In fact, I think it's going to make you more productive because you've got a short no, window of time sure. in your day to get for shit sure. done, right? For sure. So for sure. next time someone asks me a question whether or not I'm having kids, I'm literally going to tell them, well, I'm not going to swear on this podcast, but I'm going to tell them what's for because it's none of your frigging business what I do with my body what's in my future all you need to know is that I am going to take this business and I'm going to make it very successful and you're buying into me you're buying into my mission and regardless of what happens in my future in my personal life that is separate to what I'm actually pitching now Mm. so why why does that even come up in a conversation still Mm. I do not know Mm. um but isn't it interesting as well that where you had your most success Success. is speaking to other female VCs right because this is the biggest thing and Again, Pam and I have had a couple of conversations with VCs on the podcast about, you know, this unconscious bias and it is a real thing. And one of the VCs that we work with, she now calls out in real time. If she is in a room with men and there's a female founder coming in, she Mm -hmm. will call it out. If somebody says something or after she's gone, she'd be like, you notice what you've just said there because sometimes I'm not even aware of it. For sure. That is unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the men that said to you, oh, are you going to have a start a family? Well, if you're mm-hmm. pitching to other men, they might be thinking it, but they might not just say it. 
Yeah. Right. So these are, sure. these conversations are very, very important. And it's why we started this podcast to speak to females, to learn about their journeys, learn about what they're experiencing. And I'm just want to say that like absolutely extremely inspiring how many meetings you've had, the, the belief, the journey you've gone on is absolutely incredible. And I'm sure every single person listening to this will find that incredibly inspiring. And I know I do. So now that you've, you know, you, you, the business is sort of up and running, like what, what's next, what are you working on? And, and yeah, what sort of, what's, what's happening under the skin of a uh, clutch wallet right now? For sure. Yeah. We're actually, we're fundraising again. So we raised our first round in, um, April and mm-hmm. I'm trying to congratulate. I'll speak. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I'll speak <laughs> candidly huge. on here. I'll speak candidly yes. on here. Yeah. There's such this like funny persona that I get, um, that I have to try and manage, which is like, I'm quite like an open, transparent person that likes to be very upfront. And then there is this process around raising capital, which is signaling how you signal yourself, how you signal your business, how you signal you're going. And, um, the fact that you are kind of pitching yourself to people that are investing in you. And if they see signals of like, you know, issues or problems or challenges, um, sometimes that can, you know, impact your business. And so, um, that's something that I get really challenged by because my co-founder and I are just very kind of upfront and authentic. And, you know, we've gotten feedback, which is like, "Mm, that's probably a bit too honest. You should probably just like (laughs) chill on sharing that so openly. Um, but we we closed our first round in April and we used that money to build out the first kind of beta version of our web application. Uh, that went live in July. So we had a very quick build cycle and turnaround period. And I think what was really like pressuring for us was that the market was really hot then. So like April time, the beginning of this year, it was such a big um, I guess kind of like focus on crypto and web three as an industry that was building. We had so many new people coming into the space and that put a lot of pressure on us because there were obviously a lot of other wallets that were in the space and we were wanting to carve out our own kind of area and our niche and the group that we were going after. Um, but to do that, you have to kind of catch up and the the building of a smart contract wallet is not something that is, is very simple. There's, um, you know, a lot of different people that need to come in to kind of help with that process. And, it wasn't just the web application that we were wanting to build. We were wanting to build a, a mobile version of that and a browser extension to go along with it because we realized you needed that kind of full suite of products to offer the experience that we wanted to give our, our customers. And so um, we went through that money quickly. Like we've still got, let's call it, we've extended our runway now. So obviously the market started crashing and we, we looked at our finances and we went, okay, uh, this doesn't look good in terms of like where the market's at. And we probably need to extend this out to give ourselves like a lot more runway. Um, that meant, you know, we had to cut down on some staff members. That meant that we had to pull in a lot of costs and, and slow down on building. And that was really frustrating because we'd come off this cycle of kind of really doing so well and, and achieving so much in a short period of time. So that's been like one frustration that, um, that I've had. Um, it's also kind of what's prompted our next fundraise. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that we started, about a, a month and a half ago, um, we kind of recognized the market was starting to take a turn. And also we'd, we'd done what we said we were going to do, which was build out the first version of the product, get users in, um, kind of demonstrate what you can build and um, and then basically kind of move on to the next stage from there. And I think that's, that's also been a, a little bit of a challenge because I feel like we actually need to build a bit more to get more traction, to get like to have a stronger response to our our, our current fundraise. Um, 
And so it's this like balance of pitching on the vision versus pitching on, you know, what you've done to date. And that's been a learning for me over the last kind of, um, you know, eight, eight, eight months or so of doing this. We, you know, we pitched on the vision to begin with. We had nothing built when we first raised capital. It was, hey, here's my TikTok audience. Um, I'm speaking about my idea. I'm developing partnerships and relationships with different communities that are interested in this product. Um, we're interviewing prospective customers who are interested in this product. Here's the results that I think we had like 700 interviews that we did with people to basically confirm that they were interested in our product. Um, we need some money to start building this thing. But, you know, at that point when you don't have anything established or built, you have VCs that are, you know, hesitant to give you too much money because they're waiting to see what you can do when you get some. So you kind of get stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place. And I think that, you know, men, there are so many examples of guys that come with like a bit of experience and wonderful ideas and get funded without having built anything themselves as well. And um, it's, it's, it's hard kind of hearing about those stories sometimes knowing that, you know, for women, they often feel like they need to have a lot more established before they can actually go and raise capital and, and kind of have a seat at that table. A hundred percent. And thank you for being so honest and and, and authentic with your story. Mm-hmm. Like, because it, it, you don't hear this very often. I think like everyone talks about yeah. the success when everyone's made it right. Mm-hmm. But no yeah. one talks yes. about the journey to get there. Right. And it really is that iceberg of success and what people don't see is the 700 interviews you did you know the the 80 pitches right they're not seeing that all they're Mm -hmm. seeing is you know the end product they don't know what actually goes in to building a business you know they're they're having the hard conversations to let some of the team members go yeah they're they're having to like recalculate the runway like all of these things that happen is all part of running a business and all part of like as a founder making these decisions every single day Mm -hmm. because one bad decision cannot lead to the outcome that you want right and that that pressure right I mean I was listening to a podcast the other day with um Fanzo we had him on the podcast and he spoke about how web three you're building in the open right and it's so true and there's that added pressure on top of you because everyone's looking at the founders being like what are you doing to sell out what are you doing Mm -hmm. in the community Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. it's all this added pressure on top but this is why I love having these conversations the honesty the transparency because we're kind of all in the same place we all we're all here for the right reasons we're all here because we want to have impact we want to see more women come into this space we want to make it inclusive and all we need really is just people just to get behind that and let us go let this the thing I just want to say give give me what I need and let me go and run with this you just have to believe in me (laughs) and trust that I've got this right I think that is the key and I just yeah everything you've just said then I was just like so powerful so moving and when you do have the number one you know female wallet uh in the world you know we're gonna just replay this podcast and be like here you go everyone didn't happen overnight yeah (laughs) did not happen overnight did not happen overnight I literally look I can throw in some other war stories if it helps with just making this more real but I literally just moved out of my other room with like a walk-in wardrobe and a bathroom to move into the small room to also manage the burn. So this weekend's definitely been one of those experiences of like, okay, we're really like refining down and we're changing the way that we were spending money before to kind of um, give runway and extension to the business. Yeah. And like that's, yeah. and you're obviously going through like quite a heavy time because it's, it's quite a burden 
to to wear and that's when I feel as though it's so important that you you've also got a co-founder by Mm. your side like we've often spoke about how important it is to have someone that you're going into battle with to get those battle scars with you because if you are I cannot imagine running a business and the pressure that falls on your shoulders flying that solo like when you're at the top it can be such a lonely gig and I feel as though having that support especially during the build phase when you know shit is going wrong you know mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's not a smooth ride every single week is a roller coaster when you're running a business tell me mm-hmm. the last time that one week just went absolutely swimmingly and there wasn't a brick that fell down <laughs> it's constantly building up jenga again isn't it it's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. right we're back yeah, down but yeah what's going to fall in the side patching <laughs> in the other side absolutely right but that it just like sort of takes me nicely onto i feel as though sharing these vulnerabilities like sharing mm-hmm. these journeys it is so important because from the outside looking in that you're so right people do see the tip of the iceberg and they see the success but running a business and you know being an entrepreneur is is no easy feat um and what I would like to sort of touch upon now is your entrepreneurial type spirit um your mindset you know what what actually gave you the courage to go out and run with your own idea and really want to turn your vision and your mission into something that you are doing by yourself with your co-founder but where did this mm. entrepreneurial spirit come from where did the courage come from in order to to run with clutch wallet it's a good question i haven't thought too much about this um i think there's definitely like a level of um like competitiveness that i've always had as 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 a young woman um so i think that's driven me as I've worked in different kind of web three companies and looked at how people are doing things and thought like, damn, like, I think I could, I think I could do this and actually do it better. And like, I, I kind of want to try. Um, so I think that is maybe like one component of, um, the entrepreneurial kind of spirit within me. Uh, I think there's like a part of it that's like naivety of just like not knowing what's ahead, which is like, I'm just going to throw myself out there and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. I'm going to pick myself up and, and, and deal with it. Um, but I'm happy just to like, give it a go. Uh, I I wonder sometimes if like I was going into this for a second time after having a business, like how I would feel about things. Like there's definitely like a blindness that I have right now that, um, I think gives me like a spirit, uh, to, to what I'm doing. Um, I think as well, just being, like really passionate about the the problem, honestly, like it's, um, as I said, it's something that like I've personally seen and experienced, um, with regards to just like women's financial freedom and acumen. And it's the more I focus on this space, the more stories I hear, I feel like my TikTok feed and algorithm is just like focused right now on this as a pain point. They really know um, what I care about. And and the more I hear about it, the more I, I get, I get really passionate about it. And I think, like even just looking at what's happened to women in Iran over the last month yeah. and like watching, like I have like chills, like thinking about it right now, like yeah, watching their spirit is like yeah. so incredible. And it's, yeah. it's part of this fight for, um, for, for kind of like ownership over, um, our right to, to kind of be free and to live a life that we want to live lead. And a big component of that is, is kind of like your finances. And so, um, you know, there's, there's been like a group that I've been really passionate about, um, wanting to onboard. And that's like women in the middle East and women in, 
um, you know, uh, different countries where they don't necessarily have access to bank accounts and their own finances because of the personal situations and the relationships that they are possibly in. Um, a non-custodial wallet means you can set up a wallet with an email address and you can start earning cryptocurrencies for work that you can do, you know, whether it's online or however it is that you're, you can get stuck getting paid. You don't have to actually have that formal, you know, KYC authenticated banking experience that not, you know, and not everyone has access to. There's 1.7 billion people in the world that don't have access to bank accounts. And I, you know, I think women make up a big portion of that. And so thinking about that, um, thinking about that, just like mission is something that I think really drives my entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I think that's something that maybe like founders really need to hone in on in the early stages, which is like, why am I, why am I really building this? And is it something that's going to kind of like keep me going when things are really challenging? And is it something that really is like aligned to what I care about? That, that is just so powerful. And I think that is, that's everything, right? Like Simon Sinek, start with why, why yes. are you doing something that, that is absolutely key, right? Like mm-hmm. why are you doing something? Who are you trying to serve? What problem are you solving? Right. And I think mm-hmm. honestly, if, if, if there was an advert for clutch wallet, that would be it mm-hmm. because I, I want in. <laughs> as, as a woman I'm in I'm in right so I think that's it it's like you just spoke directly to me and I'm fired up I'm like I want to support this mission right and I think yeah. that's what that's that's the difference between men and women women we are mm-hmm. we are more emotional and if we can yeah. feel something we we want to help it's in our it's sure. it's naturally in our in our nature we want to nurture we want to help so I, I, I yeah that we'll clip that and that can be uh, that can be your marketing material <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I can be your ad. Um, but yeah. Beck, honestly, like, I just want to say, like, I absolutely, I love you. I love what you're doing. And it's been such an uplifting, inspiring, honest, raw conversation that I know so many people will probably need to hear right now. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of fear, FOMO, and just this negativity going on around, like, we're in a recession, we're in a bear market, la, la, la. Yeah. I'm like, uh, can we move away from this and actually just focus on the goodness that's coming out of Web3 right now, the businesses that are for beginning? Sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's so much, there's so many people that are in this space for the right reasons, wanting to make a difference, wanting to do do the right thing. And you are definitely one of them. So I want you to speak directly to our community now. Like if, if you're, if there's women listening to this right now, why, why should they um, sign up and get themselves a clutch wallet? Like what, uh, what would you say to that woman that's listening to this right now? Sure. So I think Clutch is like a beginning product. It's a it's a wonderful point of um, starting to give yourself exposure into a market and maybe a lifestyle that you haven't necessarily led before, which is one where you're putting yourself in self in the driver's seat and kind of taking control over your life and your finances. Um, I think the wallet as a product that stores your or gives you access to your cryptocurrencies and your tokens um, and also being a product that you connect into different kind of Web3 applications. It acts as your identity layer as well. Um, it's such a kind of powerful experience for you to get started with. And it's something that you don't need to spend any money to get started in. Um, the way that we've built our product in particular is that it isn't just kind of like this banking experience where you land and you need to actually like start investing to begin with. We have educational content. We have media that's integrated into our into our wallet experience. And we've been really intentional about wanting to create more of an experience around the storytelling and the why and making sure that there's time and space for people to get educated um, before even actually having to make a purchase or an investment if they want to. So um, I think there is such an incredible opportunity for women just to start 
just to start, you know, just to start participating, whether it's just purchasing a little bit, you know, it might be 10 or $20 worth of Ethereum. You are, you are taking yourself through the motions. Um, I honestly think that the introduction of NFTs and the kinds of communities that you guys are building is such an incredible enabler for how women can get started because it not only gives you the experience of going through that first purchase experience, but it then gives you a community of people to kind of learn alongside of, um, We've been left out of the beginning and the inception of markets since the dawn of time. And we are now at a point where we actually have the ability and the willingness to do that. And I think that there is sometimes this kind of fear factor that stands in the way. And, you know, I, I really just want to encourage women to kind of step over that and um, and just get started. Well, many percent. I absolutely love it. And I can completely agree with everything you just said there. So let, let's, let's, let's round it off. What, what is next for Clutch? What are you working on right now? And, uh, you know, where can we send people to make sure they find out more about yourself and Clutch and all the amazing things that you're doing? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the, I appreciate the, um, the spotlight on Clutch. Um, we, have just launched our version two of our beta wallet and it's a beautiful facelift from our version one. I've definitely gone through this experience of like, oh, I don't want to release it. It's not the future vision of what I'm building. And my co-founders are like, we want to release something and get some users in a yeah. way can have a business. <laughs> like you need to release the perfectionism and you need to realize yeah. we're going to get feedback and people aren't going to like it. And that is part of the process. Yes. Um, oh God, that's so painful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the kind of point that we've gotten to, which is we now have around or 1,500 people testing um, our wallet. Amazing. And mm -hmm. uh, it's it's more of an experience now. You know, when we first started, you had the basic like swapping tokens. You could buy them through your bank account or credit card. Um, you could see your NFTs. Uh, you could send and receive. But now we have media, um, like the top news stories. We have the ability to explore different tokens and actually see information on that token. The pricing, you can actually purchase the token within Clutch as well. We have the NFT display. We're going to start building out more social elements. So you'll have like a social profile. You'll have a space where you can search for different Amazing. NFT communities. There's going to be NFT drops that are promoted within the product. Um, and there's going to be this tie-in back to community. I think a huge part of where Web3 is going to go is that all these little sub-communities are going to be building, whether it's in metaverse experiences or NFT collections. Um, and part of the Web3 experience is actually going to be connecting people into those different communities. And we want our wallet to be a space where that connection can be made. So there's some of the um, big kind of exciting features that we have that we'll be launching um, in the near future. We actually have a getaway that's being run at the moment. I know this yes. audience is Australian. So <laughs> I, unfortunately it doesn't um, apply because it's only in America, but I just want to talk about it because it actually demonstrates the power of, of NFTs and how being mm. a part of different communities can be so valuable. So let me give you an example. We, we went to launch our second version of the product and we thought about the different communities of, we thought about the different kind of women that we want to welcome in. And we said, okay, the market is down right now. We know that there are women that have come into the space that are starting to be active and, and wanting to learn a little bit more. That's the kind of person that we need in our product right now, because a newbie coming into our product is probably like, like a fresh newbie is probably not going to have the level of interest that we need, but someone that's starting to participate and has like a level of curiosity and interest is perfect. So we sought out a couple of different NFT communities that we knew were kind of inclusively built and had a, um, a really diverse group and maybe skewing more towards women in their, in their communities. And any of those NFT holders can participate in the getaway that we're running, which is 
um, covering flights, accommodation, and tickets to Decentral, which is a Web3 conference in Miami um, for one NFT holder and their best friend to go. So a nice kind of like Mm -hmm. significant gift to be given, um, trying to also like encourage like further education within Web3 and in real life experiences, which kind of like bring Mm -hmm. everything to life, I think. Um, But just recognizing that these communities that are being built around NFTs are kind of like these really hyper-engaged audiences. And if you think about like an Instagram page and you have like the followers to an Instagram page, the level of engagement in that page might be like a like or a comment every once in a while, but there isn't this like shared sense of community around that page or that group or that brand. All of a sudden, you have communities that are checking in, that know each other by name, that are going to events, that jump on town halls, like these are incredibly like fostered, like, you know, marketing audiences really, but audiences of people. And as we move into a world of web three, where you don't have the level of like data available on the different people that are visiting your website or whatever it is, because that's part of the new web three experience is that you as the user are owning your data. These websites, these platforms, these big tech companies don't have all this inside information on who you are. Um, means that there's power for you in that. And, you know, I mean, this is an example. We're wanting to welcome people into our product. Part of that is giving some kind of value back to that group and recognizing like, hey, because you're part of this group, we want to kind of um, reward you for that. And I think there's going to be a lot more in terms of like perks that come out of the different NFT communities. And there's a power for the the owners of communities in, in kind of what they can ask for and what kind of experience they can give their their group. I love that. And that just sort of summarizes why I'm just so, well, both Pam and I are so bullish on Web3 because you're so right. It is a completely new way of marketing. It is going to be the future. You've got these little micro communities that all know each other by name, like you say, like want Mm -hmm. to support one another, want to collaborate with each other. We had a Mm -hmm. situation in our Discord the other day where two women came together and now they're going to be speaking at each other's events. So that was just incredible, right? And that's what's going to happen. We're going to see more of that. So we're super excited. Today has been incredible. I've absolutely loved chatting to you, Beck, and I honestly wish you all the best in your um, in your fundraising, in, the, in your business, and we will be following and supporting you all the way. And if there's anything we can do, any collaboration we can do with Sister Club, we are, we're so there. We're, we just want to support you and everything you're doing. But um, Thank you. Just finally, Beck, um, where can we send people? We'll obviously, put all the links in your uh, in the show notes, but where do you hang out most? I hang out a lot on TikTok. I'm not going to lie. It's a channel where I do a lot of my just like brain dumps and and kind of musings on different ideas. Um, We also have a Discord. So if you're wanting to kind of come in and have a chat, you're more than welcome to come into our Discord channel. That's where we do a lot of our just like servicing of people that are using the product and giving us feedback. So come into Discord for a chat or if you want to see some content on Web3 and crypto, you're more than welcome to follow me on TikTok beautiful definitely go into the discord and follow beck on tiktok that is an absolute must but thank you so much beck and thank you so much for everyone for listening today i hope that you've enjoyed this as much as i have and pam has and we will see you again next time on the sisterhood club podcast for more incredible conversations have a great day thank you so much for listening to today's episode i really hope that you enjoyed it and if you did please give a little share on your social And if you have time, please leave a review and I hope to see you next time. Take care.